Welcome to episode number six of MK Sports Around the World podcast. I have two guests this week. The first will be Kelly Moten, uh, live from Germany, where she's competing and trying to make it through this uh, crazy season facing COVID and testing and all kinds of other uh, difficult things. But after speaking with Kelly about the struggle for her team and the league to get through the season, I realized it would be a good idea to compare her experience with a college coach in the USA. Because a lot of my former clients go into coaching, it was easy to get another perspective. Marquez Webb is an assistant coach at Vanderbilt and will no doubt be a head coach someday. Her school took the virus seriously from the beginning, and they went above and beyond with testing protocols and keeping their student-athletes as safe as possible. Yet they struggled to make it through their 2020-21 season. Last week, the program announced it would take the big step of shutting down their season. Find out what went into making this decision as Marquez explains all the things they had to go through this year. You will be fascinated by what she has to say. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Okay, I'd like to welcome Kelly Moten to the podcast. Kelly is in Wasserburg, Germany right now. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm fine, Matt. How are you? Good, thanks. So you've had quite a an illustrious basketball career overseas the last, I don't know, four or five years. Kind of go back to where you grew up and how it all started for you. It was Gary, Indiana, right? Yeah, little old Gary, Indiana. I started playing basketball at the age of nine. Well, organized basketball because that's when you could play back then. It's a fun town, honestly. I think back in the day, it was a lot more to do than it is now. Over the years, it's gotten a little bit bad and things have kind of dwindled down there and things like that. But I think it was a fun place for me growing up, I'd say. Did you have a big family? Yeah. (laughs) So my mom has 10 kids. So I have nine brothers and sisters all together. And we all grew up together just playing and I used to look at my older brother just playing basketball and the neighborhood that I grew up in, I was just watching those guys play basketball. So I think growing up in Gary, honestly, everything was a big family. And my mom has a big family, so I always had people to play with or I always had friends growing up. Where? What number are you in the 10? <laughs> I feel like every time somebody asks this, I have to go down the line and count. Who's but older? I think I'm, uh, my bro- I have a brother... Kevin, and he's the oldest, my sister Kimberly, and then it's Kiana, then it's Keon, uh, then it's me. I'm five. Okay, so you're right in the middle. Yeah. How how much older is your oldest brother? Sheesh, I think he's about to be 15 years older. No, wait, okay, I'm thinking I'm 25, hold on. (laughs) Nah, he's about about to be 13 years older than me. Okay, 13. 13 years older than me, yeah, yeah. I think. So so did uh, family members get you into basketball, you think, as a kid, or was it somebody else? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was more so family members. Honestly, I had a basketball court uh, about two or three blocks away from my house growing up, and they used to always go to the basketball court, and it was just always there, like every day. The park, I mean, you had swings on the slide and stuff like that, but it was a basketball court, and they used to have these games when I grew up and they used to play like neighborhoods versus neighborhoods. And it was always fun because all the kids got got together and surrounded the courts and we all just had a good time. So I think watching that growing up and just wanting to be a part, like it looked so excited when I would watch. And when I was a kid, and I just wanted to do everything that they did on the court. So growing up, when I first started playing, I tried to mimic everything that they did. So I'd say a lot of my family members and they used to play on the court and 
a lot of people from the neighborhood that I grew up in also. So when you got into organized basketball at nine, were you pretty good by then? <laughs> oh, no. No? I was terrible. <laughs> I was terrible. I remember this one time I was in elementary school, and I don't know how I ended up on a free throw line. <laughs> I think it was my first chance to score points in a game. I shot the ball over the backboard. I was terrible. <laughs> over the backboard. <laughs> Yeah, it got better. It got better. Good. Did you have a like a junior high or middle school team? Yeah, my junior high team was actually pretty good. We didn't have a lot of players. I think one year we won like a championship. I think we only had like five or six players, but we were we were pretty good. I think we were the team to beat. I went to Dunbar Pulaski Middle School. Nice. Yeah. And is that in yeah. Gary? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And were you always a guard? Yeah, I was never tall enough. Honestly, when I was growing up, when I was little, I was always one of the shortest people. <laughs> and I didn't grow a lot until I reached high school. And from then on, I mean, I'm still not that that tall, I guess. But and when I was growing up in my earlier years, I was always one of the shortest people on the court. So you always had to fight for the ball and fight for rebounds? Yeah, so I think that's what kind of made me, I, I was like, I need to have some type of advantage over people, especially when I wasn't as good. So I don't know how, but I just became super fast. <laughs> so. Is that something you picked up from brothers and sisters? Is is everybody in the family quick? Uh yeah, I I'd say I'd say they they're quick. I think so. But yeah. And tell me about going to high school. What was your high school program like? High school was high school was different, honestly. So I went to Roosevelt High School and it was a lot of uh people before me that were great athletes. We had people that always got interviewed by Post Tribune, which was a newspaper back there. And we had like a Mrs. Basketball. So we had some tradition. Some really, really good yeah, we had some we had some good players that came before me and my freshman year coming in. I, I got to play with one of them. Um, her name was Tatiana Washington. I just always looked at her and looked at her game. And so as a freshman and coming in and seeing things like that and seeing like, ah, I know if I get this good, then I could have those same type of opportunities that she had um, while we were in high school. And then like, the years passed and I just start, began to get better and work on my game a little bit more. And then my high school coach kind of took me under her wing and she was like, okay, you have to be the best player and all the best players at Roosevelt, as far as like the girls program goes, uh, they were number 25. So my number had to get changed from 13 to 25. I was a little upset about that, but that happened. And honestly, from then on, I just knew I had to take it to another level with playing and just being that face. So over the years, when I started to become like an upperclassman, I started to notice the things that I noticed when I was a freshman, just getting interviewed and getting people want to come take pictures of me. And then I started getting a couple of offers from college teams my senior year. So yeah. Did you play in the summers too? Uh, <laughs> No, I think no. that was one of the things that if I could go back, I'd play in the summer because I didn't know much about AAU basketball. Everybody used to always want me to play, but yeah. I always had that mindset like, okay, summer is this my time off, it's my time to rest. I'm playing like five sports every single year, so I never have time off. I never have time to go do things and have fun. But if I could go back and do that all over again, I think I'd get into a little AAU basketball. I'd say. A it's a great way to get it. Yeah, it's a great way to get exposure, I'd say. 
What other sports did you play in high school? So I played, <laughs> I did cross country. Because I think coming in as a freshman, they always say you had to do a sport before you could play basketball or something like that. So I did cross country. I played volleyball. I did the high jump and track. And I played softball and, of course, basketball. Okay. Yeah. Was basketball. A little bit of everything. Yeah. But I always had fun with the other sports. The other sports were like, you know how like kids grow up and they join sports because their friends are in it. So I think that that was a big reason why I joined some of those sports. But I always had fun in them and I always tried to do my best and excel in them. And it keeps you busy and, and in shape. So that's good. Yeah. It's like an all year round thing. I always had something to do. I was always at some kind of practice or trying to manage my time to have practice, do homework, and then spend time with my family and family. Yeah. You mentioned it was Tatiana, right? Did she go play college somewhere? Uh, yeah, she did play somewhere, I think. She played She played for a school in Kansas, I believe, in Kansas or Missouri. Okay. Did anybody I'm not else, sure. Did anybody else in um, her four years go play college? Honestly, I don't think so. No. No. I think I was still maybe the only one. I'm not sure if I'm forgetting about somebody or not, but even like out of my senior class, I don't think anyone went to go play after high school. So. Is Gary Roosevelt, is that where Glenn Robinson went to? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. So he, yeah. I went to one of his camps growing up. Did yeah. you? The yeah. big dog? He was yeah, pretty was tough a, at a, Purdue. He was a, and he was a beast in the Big Ten, and then he did pretty well in, in the pros. But yeah. that's, that's dating me a little bit because he was big time when I was in high school in Indianapolis. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's Gary Roosevelt always seemed to have a good basketball program. Did you guys do anything in the state tournament? Did you advance? Uh, no. Well, my freshman year, we made it. Ooh, what is it called? Is it called the. I know it's we like, made it to regionals. It's like, regional it's like yeah. It's, yeah, it's a series of things. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure we, we won sectionals my freshman year. We made it to regionals and we lost in regionals. I think we lost to the team that Skyward Diggins was playing on, I think. Oh, really? Did yeah. you get to guard her? Uh, I don't. Honestly, I don't remember. I just remember they had these like pamphlets and things like that, and she was on it. And I didn't realize who she was until like a couple years later, and she went to Notre Dame, and I was like, okay, this was her. Yeah, she was. This is her cool. in this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. your senior year, did you do anything in the tournament? No. no my senior year, we lost uh, in sectionals. Uh, yeah, we had a couple players that I think they weren't eligible to play and things started dwindling down with the season and I don't think many people uh cared at that point so uh yeah yeah, we lost so what what colleges looked at you towards the end where were you thinking of going honestly I didn't have a lot of offers coming out of high school but I did take an official visit to uh, Mizzou and then, of course, Emporia State. But when I went to visit Mizzou, they gave me great vibes and I really enjoyed the opportunity to be there. But I just knew that it wasn't the perfect. Yeah, so it wasn't the perfect fit for me. And I knew that I didn't want to be super uncomfortable. I know it's OK to make yourself and be uncomfortable in certain situations. But I knew that that, would, that wouldn't be the right fit in order for me to excel and to get to where I wanted to go. So went back to the drawing board. And then I think a couple weeks later, I got an offer to go visit Emporia State. So, yeah. What Was it Jory Collins who reached out to you? Was yeah. That- yeah, yeah, it was it was him and uh, the assistant coach at the time, Coach Mack. And yeah, they wanted to fly me out there. So it was weird because I was like, okay. These places are super close to each other. I flew to this exact same airport and I was like, okay, what is going on here? Um, But yeah, yeah. So I went on my visit there and it was just like an instant click. 
Like, I, I love the energy there. I love the people that I was around. And Emporia State, it, Division Two, Emporia, Kansas, for those who don't know. And they've had a lot of success in the last, I don't know, yeah. 10 plus years. But yeah, so you could tell it was a winning program when you got there. And what did you like about it on your visit? Yeah, so I, I love the people that were my chaperones. I love the team, their chemistry, their, like, their way of like getting along, like it just seemed like they all were friends. They all hung out. Just the community, it was like we just would go into a store, say we went to Walmart or something, and it's just the people in the community, they notice you and they smiled at you. Just a different type of energy that I got from being there, and it just felt like home to me when I first got there. And everybody was super nice and just People smile at you, they speak to you. Just those small things and just the way that the way that people are, the way that you can tell that they care about just being there and each other. And so I was one of the things that made me realize like, okay, this is the type of environment that I want to be in for the next I was thinking, yeah, this is where I want to go. The moment, and it was also a moment where Jory actually came to Gary. He drove to, he was going to recruit in Chicago, and he drove over to Gary, and we sat on my front porch, and he just showed me plays, and we went through film and things like that, and he was like, I could see you in this spot and making this play, and just to hear his vision of me and to know my vision of myself, it was like reassuring, and it was that sense of confidence and and just having someone that believed in you that much to see, like, I could see, I could see you here. Like, if you were in this game at this moment, I could see you pass the ball here. I could see you shoot it here. I could see you defending like this. Yeah. And it was one of those things that was inspiring to me. And I was like, this is someone who I know would have my best interests at heart. And he wants me to succeed as much as I want myself to succeed. Yeah. He's a great coach. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Was he, it him was and it, Coach Mag are one of the best? Yeah. And he's at North Dakota State right now, so get yeah. a shout out to Jory. Hopefully he's yeah. making it through the season up there. So was it a big adjustment going from Gary to Emporia? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Just being in the normal, just being in the norm, like growing up, it was a lot different. I mean, I didn't grow up in like the suburbs or anything like that. I grew up in a, a rural area where crime was normal and things like that. But when I got to Kansas, it was a different ball game. like everything was everything was different like even the people the way that they spoke to you just I don't know how to describe it but like I felt like I I felt safer going there I felt like I could walk around at two in the morning and nobody would say anything and I didn't have to worry that much or anything like that it was it was different for me also with just being around and not knowing anybody like I went 10 hours away from home when I was 18 I didn't know. I had a friend there who who went to the same high school that I did, which was surprising. Who goes to Emporia State out of everywhere? Yeah, I did. Um, but yeah, I had a friend there, so I knew I knew one person there, and I knew, of course, the team and my coach. And other than that, I didn't know anybody, so it was weird for me to be in that moment and to try to get comfortable. And I have to rely on like these other people that I don't know. So I think it was tough for me, especially like, cause I've never been in that. I've never had anything like that where I didn't know anybody where I wasn't comfortable. I don't know how to get to the gas station. <laughs> I don't yeah. know where to go or anything like that. So it, I think it was, 
super tough for me. But it sounds like yeah. eventually you became fairly comfortable there. Did it yeah. take a year or two or, or was it quicker than that? No, it was quicker than that. It took it took a few months for me to actually get comfortable. I started to make friends outside of basketball because that was my redshirt year when I first got to Emporia State. Um, so I actually didn't play that first year. So I could actually adjust, I think, better, I'd say, because I had like the I had a little bit of both. I still played basketball and I still practiced and did all the workouts and put in extra work when the team wasn't there. But I also had a social life outside of that to where I'm going to the calf with my friends or I'm going to meet up and watch movies or play games and things like that. So it was kind of that like in between where I could still have a social life and be like an actual college student that year and still play basketball and do something that I love. Now, Emporia State, I looked this up during your four years, you went 116 and 20, which is pretty awesome. And I think you had, was it a final four in your junior year? And then, yeah, I think it was my junior year. Yeah. Senior, right? Yeah. So your senior year, you ended up League Player of the Year. This is 2016 and 17, I think. And you mm-hmm. averaged 18 points, four and a half rebounds, 4.4 assists. And so then the accolades keep coming. You, you become eventually the Division II Player of the Year. Yeah. Tell me about that. Was that a pretty cool honor? Yeah, it was. It was actually a super surreal moment because I did honestly, I, I've never heard about very many people getting that award or I, I never knew, honestly, that it kind of existed I knew you could get like player of the year for the league and you get all these MVPs and but how I found out (laughs) so I found out my coach Jory I don't know he's always used to mess with me but he told me like hey come to the gym real quick um I need to talk to you about something and we met in the locker room and when I walked in the locker room, my whole team, my whole entire team was there. And then we were, he was standing there and then I was standing in the middle. He was like, do you know why you're here? And I said, no. And then he presented me with the award and they all sprayed silly string on me. And I think that it was a super surreal moment for me to get that. It was unexpected and it was a, it was an honor. What a, what a great way to, to let you know. That's funny. I yeah. never heard that story. <laughs> And didn't, yeah. you to, didn't you have to go to like the state house or something for, for some, like, did you meet with yeah, the senator or something? Yeah, I met the, go- yeah. Is it- the governor? Yeah, Brownback. Yeah, I think it was the governor, Brownback. Okay. Yeah, I did go, I did go there and I met with all of them. It was, it was a fun experience, I'd say. It was a day full of things. So I had a few interviews and I got to meet him and go to his office and I went to the floor where all of the people sit and it was it was a cool moment and I, I'd say That's it cool. was it what was surreal yeah cap off your four years after starting yeah. you did, it's getting there and, and ending up yeah division two player of the year so I think Jory yeah. Jory had reached out to me for Marissa Quick who was your teammate at Emporia she mm-hmm. was a year older right? yeah a year older than you okay yeah so when you were done I talked to you and we started working together and your first job was in Switzerland. And that's a pretty nice place to go right out of college as far as, you know, people who want to travel to certain countries. Switzerland is always on the top of the list, but you did really well there. I think in that league, you were close to 19 points a game and more than 10 rebounds a game. How does a a guard get, I think it was 10.5 rebounds a game? (laughs) You're just quicker than everybody else? A lot of hustle, I'd say. A lot of hustle. A lot of hustle being fast. And I'm a little bit athletic. So jumping over people is... And you don't get called for... 
one of the things with, that I learned my first year, you don't get called for over the back. Like in college, you get called for that over the back. Here, I can jump over somebody's back and grab the ball, and they don't call anything. So I think that's what honestly helped me because that, that was a rule. Is that still the case? Yes. You can, if we're both going for the ball and I jump over you and grab it, it's not a foul. Not unless, like, I grab it and I kind of, like, knock you over at the same yeah. time. But if I don't touch you and I just go up higher than you and grab the ball and I'm over your back, it's not a foul. Oh, interesting. It's so, a good trick. Yeah. Kelly Moten's yeah, trick yeah. to the trade. <laughs> <laughs> don't turn your back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So after you played with, was it Rivas? Rivas, Switzerland? Which yeah, was, Rivas. Which was kind of cool because I remember yeah. when I was negotiating that contract, everybody spoke Italian. I think and they were in southern yeah. switzerland right yeah so i learned that pretty fast that uh switzerland doesn't actually have a, a language well they do but they speak whatever language which country is around them which is closest okay so so yeah with us being 10 15 minutes from italy they all spoke italian but a lot of my teammates spoke a lot of different languages so even if you go to freiburg switzerland a lot of them speak german german since yeah. they're so close to the german border so it was that was a that was a shock and i that think shocker. didn't you fly into milan italy and then that was a close yeah airport? yeah yeah milan was like 40 40 45 minutes away from uh where i was supposed to be playing yeah did you enjoy so that was cool did you enjoy that first year or was that another tough transition? No, it was tough at first, just being abroad for the first time and just not knowing the language. So it's hard to, it's hard when you first get overseas, just not knowing another language or not being accustomed to people speaking different, different around you and you not knowing what they're speaking about. But honestly, I'd say that I love my first year. Like I love the weather. Honestly, when people think about Switzerland, they just think about snow yeah. and it being cold, but being so close to Italy, I guess, it's probably snowed twice and it melted right away. So I didn't really get to experience the winter in Switzerland. But I still seeing the mountains every day with the snow on top of them. I still got to be around some great people. And when I was there, it just felt it was it's a different feeling being in Switzerland because everybody is so happy. Yeah. I don't know why, but literally everyone is so happy. They invite you to their home for dinner. They want to hang out. They all get along. They're just so nice there. And that I love it. Sounds like a nice place to be, especially now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then year two. You end up in Freiburg, Germany. Was yeah. Germany, was it close? Like as far as how things were going, the people, or was it a totally new, different experience? Uh, compared, to Switzerland? <laughs> compared to Switzerland, it was like a 360. Was it really? Okay. Yeah. So like I was so used to the nice weather in Switzerland and all of the nice people. And, and I got to Germany and it rained like three times a week <laughs> it rained and it was a little muggy and i lived in i lived like 20 minutes outside of like the city but where i played at it was like a city city where you have busy people that are going to jobs and, and they're going to work and in a rush and in switzerland they weren't like that i don't know it was it, all, all business in freebird yeah, yeah, it was definitely all business, but it was it was a change that I don't think that I was prepared for. <laughs> you did pretty well. I mean, it's a little bit tougher league for sure, right? 
okay. um, the German top league. I think your first year you were at 15 points, six rebounds a game, and it was good enough to get noticed by Wasserberg, who has an American coach, Sydney Parsons. So yeah. she reached out and was interested in bringing you. Yeah. So you went to Wasserberg and dominated that first year you were there. You ended up player of the year for the league. Um, tell me about yeah. Wasserberg, your experience there. I love it here. I, obviously, I'm back for another year, so I'll yeah, have to like some too. part of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it here. I love hanging out with my teammates. Uh, the coaching staff said she's a, she's cool. I've never obviously had an American coach being here. She's one of those people where she believes in you and she believes in your development. And she wants you to get better, not only on the basketball court, but also as a person. She's she's one of the coaches that I, I, I respect her a lot. She's one of those type of people that you would run through a wall for. Yeah. And, and kind of like what you were being, saying about Jory. She cares yeah. just as much about you as a person than she does as a player. You know, she's one of those yeah. rare individuals yes. in coaching. Yeah, she does. And being here, I, I love it. It's a small town, of course, but I could go to the store and people recognize me. I mean, that's not the most important thing, but everybody here, they're so welcoming. And it just feels like a place that you could call home just coming over here it's different of course than america but i love it here though i like the weather it's a lot of snow outside right now i like the snow though but i've i've gained some some good knowledge and i feel like i've gotten better over the couple years well the year and a half that i've been here i've been surrounded by great people not only on the basketball court, but also off the basketball court. I've traveled a lot more. This is probably the most I've traveled. Well, last year was probably the most I've traveled while being overseas. And I don't know. I, I don't think I could wish for a better place to be at right now. Well, that's good to hear. So it sounds like yeah. you're getting that, that comfort level that you always strive yeah. for. Yeah. But so your first year at Wasserberg kind of ended abruptly. The team was pretty good and you were doing well, but because of COVID, everybody had to go home. Yeah. And then, so year two kind of got off to a rocky start. You go back there kind of in the midst of COVID, you had to fly back over to Germany from the U.S. And then tell me a little bit about, I know Sydney told me a little bit about how the players kind of pushed for more testing and, and, you know, just tell me how the season started and what, what was going on. Yeah. So I think season opening went off without, no, we had some issues with seasoning. Um, so when I first got here, we were just as confused as everybody else. Like, are we going to start basketball in the middle of a pandemic? They just canceled us six months ago. Nobody's played a game. Nobody's practiced. And we got here and everybody was just unsure about how we would go through things. Like, will we just act like, COVID isn't happening and just go on about our day. So travel the way we're traveling. Because when I first, honestly, when I first got here, things like you could go sit in a restaurant, you could go hang out with as many people as you wanted to. Things were uh, more free. Yeah. Yeah. September when I first came back and then the numbers started to get, get higher. And then around season opening time, they got a little higher. We hadn't, we didn't get tested then. I, um, but they had like they had protocols in line for season opening where it was certain zones that you could go in. So they were starting to take those precautions. And then numbers started to get higher. So if at that moment we weren't getting tested in November, early on in November, I'd say, then 
people started to feel sick. So if you felt sick, you had to tell your coach and staff or you had to tell the doctor and you got tested. And then that's when people started coming out and a couple people in our league tested positive. So they, they needed to get in protocols for that and try to figure out how we would navigate through the season with it. So then the players players started reaching out and being more outspoken with that and saying that we needed to be safer with this. If we're going to finish a season, we need to be healthy because we're all at risk. And this is, and with COVID, this is something that you can't play basketball with. Like if we're playing basketball and we have it, we could we could die on the court. Yeah. So a safer measure for us was to put in those protocols for us to get tested before every single game. And I'd say now we get tested the day before every game. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like getting tested, but I'd rather be safe. How many, how many tests do you get a week? Honestly, right now with the way that season is going, I get tested three times a week. So when they put in those protocols for us to start getting tested, I, I felt a little bit better about being here and I felt safer because I knew that I wasn't exposed to it in that moment or at the time. So with so many tests a week and we get we probably get tested every two or three days or something like that. But I feel like it's a safer it's a safer place. I'd rather be tested three times than not at all. Yeah. So I feel more comfortable with playing and with traveling. And they have all these uh, protocols in with traveling now, being an essential worker. So most of the time when we go stay in hotels before the game, we're probably the only guest in the entire hotel. And we need someone to come unlock it for us. That's how. Yeah. That's impressive. So and that's basically how the Germany top league has been able to move forward this season. If you didn't have these protocols, you'd probably be like most of the other European countries postponing, canceling games moving stuff around, yeah. trying to just squeak through a season. But you guys are seven and one. You've played eight games at least, right? I don't know yeah. if that's the, the most recent count, but... I think it may be. Yeah, and you have a bunch of games in January. <laughs> yeah, I think we have six more games this month, I believe. So... <laughs> they kind of got a late start, but they're trying to make up for it in December and January. Yeah. And finish the season. Yeah, so... It feels a little bit like college where we used to play those Wednesday, Saturday games. Now, like in December, we had a game on the 20th, the 23rd, the 27th, and the 30th. And then we were supposed to have one, we were supposed to have a cup game versus a second division team um, on the third, but that got canceled. So uh, yesterday was our first game of the of the new year. Nice. I saw last. I think it was last week. You were player of the week for the league, and your your oh. stats are similar to what I think they were last year. Like sixteen a game, five rebounds, four assists. Still, I didn't know that. The ball the court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't know I was player of the week though. Thanks, yeah, uh, you're a basket player of the week last week. I think you had like 25 yeah. or 26 at some point last week. Uh, maybe I need to start checking that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So what comes next? I know your mind is focused on getting through this season and focusing yeah. on game by game just to get through it. Because like you said, last year it was abruptly canceled. And then three days later you were home. But yeah. fingers crossed that that doesn't happen. What yeah. Do you want to keep playing overseas? I know we've talked about trying to get into a WNBA training camp if you're ever home in the month yeah. of April or May, but you know that's still on <laughs> radar for you because I think you'd impress a lot of people with your skills and your quickness and yeah. what you've gained. I think you're, I mean, you're, you were good in college, but I think you've grown a lot yeah. as a player since college and improved 
a yeah. lot. Your three-point shooting this year is like over 40%. So that's huge. Yeah. Something. Is that something yeah, it you're is. working on? Uh, yeah. So honestly, I try to... I try to work on the things that probably, or I try to work on things like if I, if a team is doing a scouting report, like what are your weaknesses? I try to work on all those things that they could possibly put on weakness. And I knew that three-point shooting especially was something that I needed to improve on and just picking the right spots where I take my shots. Because sometimes I'll take them with three seconds on, on the shot clock and I'll just throw something up, hoping it goes in. Yeah. More than likely it doesn't because it's a rush shot, but working on that and my left hand. But yeah, I think I want to keep playing overseas. If I can make it to a WNBA training camp or get some looks from a few teams, I'd be grateful for that. But I do want to keep playing. I don't think that I'm done with basketball yet. So yeah. I think I I still have a lot of left in the tank. I think so too. And, and you've stayed healthy and you know, congratulations, kudos to you for the three-point, all the work you've put into it. That's huge. I mean, yeah. from, from a kid who shot over the backboard in elementary school yeah. to, <laughs> to 42% from three, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that we got a chance to catch up. I know you're yeah. very busy over there, and I don't like to bother you when things are going well, and, and the team is winning, and everything's going well. No, so. it's fine. It's I know things are going well, so keep up the good work. Yeah. How was the holiday being away? Did you do anything special? Uh, yeah, so my teammate, uh, they stayed. Uh, a couple of them didn't go home, and they had a Christmas dinner for us. Nice. And if you didn't know, in Germany, they celebrate Christmas on December 24th and not the 25th. I, I do have a relative <laughs> from Germany, and she always would say they open up presents on the 24th. So I assume, yeah, that's yeah. the big day. Yeah. So, yeah, they made us dinner and we exchanged gifts. So it was it was a good experience, I'd say. It, was, it sucked not being able to fly home and be around family. But yeah. they they made it they made it fun for us. And I appreciate there, them for that. Is there any special food that you were you, you were served that you didn't know was coming on Christmas? Honestly, I can't pronounce the name of the food that we ate. <laughs> but if I could, I would tell you. But it was this very, very great meal, but it didn't have meat in it, but it tasted like meat. It was super good. And we had this, I think it was like a wrap. No, it was an apple crumble. It was very good. They was can it? definitely cook. Nice. Yeah. And I know yeah. it kind of stinks because Germany has all those like Christmas markets and the shops and everything is decorated. Yeah. I'm sure, because of the lockdown, a lot of that wasn't happening, right? Yeah. So... I don't think I've seen one little booth that they usually have on Christmas time. That was one of the things uh, that I I look forward to. I love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. So Me too. when the end of November rolls around and the Christmas market starts setting up and start rolling around, that's in one the of the snow. things that I look forward to. In the snow and then you have families there and you have all the traditional food that they serve and the glue vine and things like that just all the traditions that germany impacts with the with the christmas markets is something that i, I honestly miss this year well maybe next but, year when you're back hopefully everyone yeah. has a vaccine and you can enjoy the christmas season in germany yeah have you yeah. picked up, have you picked I, I up hope so. german speaking <laughs> uh I can, of course. Um, and when I go to the grocery store, I'm able to understand what things are if I need to translate them. Yeah. A little bit, but not a lot. Yeah. Not at all. I should, though. 
This is my third memory. <laughs> I should know a little bit, but yeah, I'll awesome. learn a little bit more soon. Something to work on. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, sure. Kelly. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today and keep up the good work. Like I said before, keep having a great season. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Take care. Now we are going to switch gears a bit and find out what it's been like here in the United States at the NCAA level with the top Division I program. Marquez Webb, who played at Vanderbilt and graduated in 2017, is that correct? Mm-hmm. That is correct. Then you and I started working together, and you played two seasons over in the Czech Republic uh, mm-hmm. for two different teams. I think the second team, you ended up runner-up in the league and had a really good season, right? Yep. And they wanted you to come back, but you got an offer you couldn't refuse from uh, your old coach, Stephanie White, at Vanderbilt. So tell me a little bit about I know you're in a different role this year, but when you were hired initially as the director of player development last season, tell me a little bit about that role. Okay. So last year, I I basically did a little bit of everything. The main, like, primary, I would guess, job description, because I wasn't allowed to be on the court. Um, I wasn't, like, an accountable coach, if you will. So off the court, a lot of practice planning, a lot of just being in the mix about what it is that we needed to do as far as our progression within the season involved in all the coaches meetings um so a lot of that which is helping with my coaching progression as far as in my profession and everything um with the girls uh I was the community service liaison I scheduled did everything as far as community service went a lot of like self-leadership things I worked hand in hand with our we call her our uh culture coach Molly um, me and her work together with just getting s- some activities and stuff for the girls as far as just advancing their mind. So I was in on a lot of that stuff. Um, and then, so we had all three of our assistant coaches all had kids last year. Uh, two of them are women, one is a man. So when the two women had their uh, child, they went on maternity leave. So I got to go recruiting in July when Coach Kelly had her son. Um, I stepped into the assistant coaching role. So I was on the road in July recruiting. So that was like really, really cool. And just like a really great experience early. Really, like I just kind of got thrown into the fire. I got there in June and in July, I was going all month. So that was a really, really good experience. Just getting my feet up with recruiting and everything. And once Coach Kelly came back, literally like a couple of weeks after that, Coach Rick had her daughter. So then I was in the assistant coaching role once more, but we were in season so I was doing scouts. I was doing all of that. So I got my feet wet with pretty much everything that came with being an assistant coach. And then once uh, both of them got back together, I pretty much assumed my role as player development, uh, director of player development again, but with a little bit more information because now I didn't scout it. I didn't figure out how to do pretty much everything. Okay. So that was really, really helpful leading into this year. Once Coach Reek left and got her head coaching job, Steph called me and told me she wanted to move me up into assistant coach. And it was just, it was perfect. Yeah. It was just perfect. Last year when I was um, stepping in and helping out, I was help, I was working with our post players. So when Coach Reek left as the post coach, it was just kind of the perfect puzzle fit pretty much. So now this year I'm a full-time assistant coach in the SEC and it's been great. It's been great. A lot of the stuff last year helped, not a lot of the stuff, all of the stuff last year, like helped me just be ready for this pretty much. I would say there's not that big of a difference, but there is. And it comes with the responsibility of it. A lot of responsibility that you don't realize. And you don't realize a lot of coaching has nothing to do with X's and O's. (laughs) So that's like my biggest, 
I would say adjustment or surprise is how much of basketball is not really entailed in coaching. I mean, it is, but like off the court, there, there's still so much stuff that you're responsible for and that it, it's on you if it goes left, right, up or down, you know what I'm saying? So it's been a good journey there, for sure. There's so, there's so many coaches that, you know, are good at one thing, but they, mm-hmm. they're not good at the other, or they're really good at strategy and in-game mm-hmm decision-making and things like that, but they don't like recruiting or they don't like right. doing a lot of the other part of it. And it's hard. You need people around you who have, you know, different talents. So you can kind of yeah. combine as one, right? You do. Yeah. I think I say it all the time. I think Steph did a great job with how she combined her staff. And this was before I got hired. So I'm not just talking about her bringing me on. <laughs> yeah. I think she does a really, really good job at putting people around her that complement her and her strengths and fill in everywhere else. Like our recruiting coordinator, our recruiting coordinator now, um, Coach Gary Reedus, does an amazing job like recruiting. He's probably one of the best recruiters in the country. So yeah. I'm like pretty much learning on the hand with recruiting. Recruiting has come my second nature to me. I love to recruit. It's not hard talking to these high school kids about something that I've been through, and it's kind of easy to relate to them. I'm not too far removed, so it's just, and I. I'm not like selling them Vandy. I'm just telling them about my experience. So it's, it's super sure. easy to recruit to your own alma mater. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. A lot of coaches can are only good at kind of one thing. And I think last year being able to literally do, like I said, some of everything definitely helped me into this because now I'm not, it's not just about X's and O's, it's about all the extra stuff. Or sometimes it is strictly about, all right, this is my scout. Like I had the Kentucky scout. All right, this is my scout. What is my game plan? Like, how are we going into Kentucky? Like, what is the game plan? And so and I, you did I love a phenomenal that. job. They were number 12 in the country and it was like down to the last minute and you guys were neck and neck and yeah. on the sideline jumping up and down real enthusiastic <laughs> so that's cool to see from a, uh, the girls a, always make fun of me that's me all the time that's me in practice that that's never going to change that hasn't changed since i played i just especially like i said when it's my scout and i'm that locked in i'm i'm, I'm gonna be pretty hype <laughs> yeah so tell me since since i asked you to be on the podcast i don't know a week ago mm-hmm. there was some big news out of vanderbilt that your season was going to be stopped Mm-hmm. due to a number of factors kind of let's start back maybe over the summer when so you're named assistant coach you've got mm-hmm. kind of you know the COVID thing is hanging over so recruiting is a little different over the summer yeah. and ability to practice with a full squad is probably a little different so maybe mm-hmm. take me back to July August before the season and, and how things were going okay so this summer this summer we didn't even have the girls in. The girls didn't get here till August. I mean, this is the first year we didn't have summer sessions because of COVID. So over the summer we did a lot of this. We sat on Zooms and had team meetings literally every day. So we also put in a new offense this year. So we introduced a new offense on Zoom. <laughs> we broke it down on Zoom. Uh, we showed clips of it on Zoom. We had our synergy edits up. Like we did some of everything on Zoom. We had position meetings on Zoom. We did this like alumni series we brought in some alumni talked to them like just try to get creative because we just wanted to make sure we were keeping the girls engaged because it's hard when you're pretty much on shutdown some of them could work out some of them couldn't some of them were in states where they was locked down and they couldn't get in the gym so it it it, it was just an interesting summer but they got here in august started workouts i would say vanderbilt in my non-biased opinion i think vandy has done the best job as far as tackling this COVID thing and it's because their testing protocols are really, really good. I don't know if any other schools are testing weekly with their student body. 
um, not just athletes. Um, so our whole student body was getting tested once a week. We started testing, Vandy was testing their athletes early um, before the STC kind of kicked in with their testing. So we were getting tested weekly from the time we got here. And when Everything was that? Pretty August? Much, yeah, mm-hmm, August. Everything pretty much changed and like from what it was, like you can only go in one door, one door in the gym. Uh, the girls' card access wasn't even on because usually you have card access to get in the gym whenever you want, get in your dorm whenever you want, and everything is just strict. You go in one door, there has to be a screen in there. You have to get screened. You have to walk down one hallway. You have to sit in this exact seat. You have to stay this distance apart. When this workout group's in there, this workout group can't be in there. They have to wait in the hallway before we cross paths. Let's wash down the balls. Let's do all of that. So very tedious, very, very tedious. And our support staff did a great job at making sure all of that was pretty much just A1. But it was it, it was just really, really different. So like I said, we were getting testing protocols and everything. And boom, we have one player opt out. Uh, so that was like maybe early September, late August, something like that. It, okay. it was pretty quick. It, it was pretty quick. Had she been, like had she been practicing? Yeah. Okay. So at that point, we had been doing small group workouts. And I want to say we had been working out for maybe a week and a half. And she decided to opt out. So she opt out. And then we had another player opt out. So that's two in like a week. So mind you, we started with a 15-man roster. So mm-hmm. we have there. And then we knew coming into the season, Jordan Cambridge, who led the SEC in steals, all SEC first team defense. She had to her ACO the last game of the season last year. Okay. So she's coming back. Like we're, we're going to pick her up. She actually got her clearance day was the day after Kentucky. So it's just crazy how it all worked out. So we knew we weren't going to have her. So that's two opt outs. That's Jordan um, being out. Kiara Pearl also was coming back from ACL injury from last year. So she wasn't ready yet. She was pretty much ready in December. So that's four that we're down from 15. And then uh, we had a player with a shoulder injury and she couldn't get surgery this summer with, with COVID and everything. It wasn't a major surgery, uh, wasn't allowed to have surgery yet. So she tweaked the same shoulder that she had hurt in practice. So that's five. She, she didn't hit the floor this year. So we went from 15 to 10 now. And then right, so September, October, something like that. Yeah. So going through the season and the season is pretty much, you know, fine. Riley Bartram, we had a transfer from Florida finally be eligible. So our first three games of the season got canceled because we only had seven players. And from jump, we like playing with seven is very, very dangerous just from injury. And I mean, it's tough to play with seven. A lot of teams have a seven man rotation. They don't have a seven man roster. Uh, we only had seven people dressed out. So we were waiting for the NCAA positive tests, COVID tests at all in those months. Um, by the time Briley was trying to play. Yes. Yes. So we're at five. Um, we have one and I can say her name because she's publicly kind of stated that she tested positive for COVID Demi Washington. She gets COVID. Not only does she get COVID, she tests positive for myocarditis. And that's the, the uh, condition where your heart lining pretty much swell. So Demi is shut down for six to nine months. Okay. Just she can't do anything. I can't even like pass in practice because your heart rate can't get up to a certain. Who's been yeah, a tip top athlete. I mean, Demi's yeah. one of our, like Demi runs five miles a day type thing. Like, okay. and it's just, it's crazy how it kind of works out. So Demi tests positive. And within that you have some close contacts and everything. But so I right mean, now that, that, that sticks out. Yeah. Um, so like I said, coming down from there, we only have seven. Briley is, you know, not clear from the NCAA yet. So Bradley gets cleared the day before we go to Chat Chattanooga. We start this, I mean, the day before we go to uh, Arkansas Little Rock. So we start the season missing the first three, four games of the season because we only had seven. So we play with eight uh, pretty much the whole season. And then Christmas comes. 
And so we were at what, seven? That's out. Or six Tennessee, out. Tennessee, by the way, at that point was listed as like the worst state in the country for COVID. Yeah, so our cases was going crazy. Our yeah. cases were going crazy. I, I, I will say this. We did a really good job at making the best bubble we could, but COVID is an airborne disease. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's going to happen. So when Christmas rolls around, we everybody go home for Christmas and we had just played Gardner Webb. We get tested before every game and after every game. And at this point, we're in season, so we're getting tested three times a week. We're literally getting tested every other day. That's coaches and players? Mm-hmm. That's the entire – that's our whole staff, support staff, managers. Anybody that's in, like, our Tier 1 bubble is getting tested. Okay. Um, and like I said, the whole university is also testing once a week, too. So also a plus. But uh, December 26th is pretty much, I say, where our season flipped. We had a COVID outbreak. I don't know where we had seven positive tests between coaches and players. Our whole coaching staff got COVID, except for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to get the antibodies test. They, they seem to think I have the antibodies. but <laughs> You might have already um, had a mild case at some point. Yeah, yeah. probably did. So literally our, our, our whole coaching staff, some of our support staff, and we had two, three players test positive for COVID. So we had a, I mean, just a crazy, crazy outbreak. So Christmas was right, just, right oh my gosh. Yeah. So literally the day after we got tested and came back, we were supposed to have workouts and we got shut down for two weeks. Um, we tried to have workouts one day, me and another um, staff member, and my head coach called me and was like, they just shut us down. Our AD was like, until we get two rounds of negative tests, we can't be on the court. It, it's too dangerous. We don't know what's going on. Like somebody would test positive this day, then the next day they would get another test, and then somebody else text positive, contact tracing, people are coming out. It it was just too much unknown to be out there working out. So they shut us down, like, period, for two weeks. Like, we could not do anything. So we missed our first three SEC games. We missed the game against Florida, Missouri, and Mississippi State. So, so they, our next game. Did they postpone those or they just canceled? Yes. All the SEC games were postponed. All of our non-conference games got, got canceled. And we also missed, we had a, we missed the next four games because we had a non-conference game after Christmas with Sanford. That was my scout as well. So we missed one non-conference and three SEC games. The non-conference got canceled. The SEC games got postponed. So I get put in quarantine from close contact. And coming out of quarantine, we have a game against Bama, which is my scout. Like, literally, all of this is, like, happening around when it's my scout. And I'm just like, this is just great. So we have three practices before we play Alabama. We have three practices. Um, we go into Bama with eight players. So we have eight. Um, we play the game against Bama, play the game against South Carolina. We're eight players. Uh, but one of our players, uh, Anna, Anna Pahazic, she's uh, from Denmark, actually. So she had some knee issues going on when she was at USF. She's a transfer from South Florida. But we did a really, really good job at getting her ready for the season. And she was at a really good place physically. And then the two-week pause kind of just shut her knee down. She couldn't do anything. And she, when a player has really bad knee problems, that's the worst thing you can do. So, yeah. exactly. Um, so her doing that and then her coming in, boom, jumping into SEC play, like I said, only having three practices for Alabama, it was basically a setback. It was a setback and her knee just was not going. It just was not. Her knee was doing something completely different than her mind and her body was doing. She had to get shut down for the season. Uh, she got MRIs and everything. The doctor was like, this isn't good, especially because Anna wants to play pro. So she could have pushed through it. and then, But then it's like, are we risking her pro career for, for, for this right now? So they shut her down. Now you're so now seven. it was seven. Oh, and then I forgot. After Christmas, I told you, every, we had like three players test positive. One of those ended up opting out. Okay. So we was at six. And then we have another opt-out, and then Emma's done. Okay. So that's eight. Eight from 15 to seven. And 
we end up, we know the night before Kentucky. So that's Saturday, it was like seven players. And here we are again with the same scenario we had at the beginning of the season before Bradley was admitted her eligibility by the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, oh my God, this is, it's not ideal. And then we had a couple more players. It was kind of banged up. And it's just like, I mean, then they have to be there getting every rep in practice they're getting every minute in the game yeah um, so it's, it's it's tough you can't even practice at the level like our injury report everybody's like 50 percent reps 50 percent reps because they they're doing everything it's, it, it's tough so it's like when you have seven you, or eight players you can't have a, a full you can't goal. our head coach our our head coach stephanie white who's like 40 something and retired yeah, from WBA, she had to get out there and practice like that's yeah. how serious it was like and a couple of our staff members had COVID. And until they got their, like, heart test back, they couldn't do anything. So we were just like, Yo, what the hell is going on? And you so gave, it just, gave Kentucky a good run. Yeah. And then, yeah, Kentucky was fun. Kentucky was fun. Um, they went out there that. and they played They played with some heart, man. Like oh, I said, fourth seven. only. Did you dress hmm? seven? Did you dress seven? We dressed seven. That's it. That's all we had. <laughs> we dressed seven. And granted, Kentucky was missing a couple too from contact tracing, but that just shows you the difference. Like they have, they had a full roster. Like you see teams in the SEC, they might be missing some of their players, but they they, they still have a 15 man roster. You know, you, we want we went into Kentucky with a possibility of eight. So if one or two go out with contact tracing, that still affects us way differently than like a Kentucky who has a full roster and they were missing three. Yeah, they still got twelve. Yeah. So fresh bodies. It just, yeah. yeah. It, it was tough. But like I said, they 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 played amazing. I mean, you know, close game and there are obviously no more victories and we still lost. It was just good to see them fight like that, especially yeah. with the hand that we had dealt. It was very, very refreshing to see them go out like that and to fight and for it to kind of just be our last game. It it, it just I would I would have rather went out like that. Yeah. Uh, I would have rather not would have win, but if, if that's us fighting, obviously, you know what I'm saying, with the yeah. circumstances being what yeah. it is. Prove something that they can carry yeah. it next year, hopefully. Exactly. And that's pretty much the goal now. So we ha- we've had meetings literally all week, and we're going to start back working out on Monday. So basically, this is just an extended offseason. How much of uh, the decision was the coaching staff? Was it team meetings with the players and the coaches and the athletic department? Um, or- not really. Oh. Not really. Uh, the decision came from the players, essentially, and we supported them. They were just like, yeah, we, we, we can't do this. It's, it's, it's too dangerous on our bodies. And we, like I said, we kind of knew going into it. Like I said, we didn't want to play with seven from jump. We didn't want to set the precedent that that's what we wanted to do. So when talking about it, they knew that they had their full, we had their full support as well as our administration had their full support. So when I say meetings, it wasn't about the decision. The decision was already made. It was about, all right, where do we go from here? Yeah. And it's yeah, not like you were the first. I know Duke did it a month or so mm-hmm. ago. And there's Duke a- and Virginia. So yeah. Virginia had like came out a week and a half ago. So those were like the first two power five schools to kind of do it. And Duke being the first and that kind of surprised everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a couple of more teams do it now like I said not in the power five but the first SEC school to do it they I was just watching SEC uh, network yesterday I was watching some of the games and they were talking about it on SEC network as well um they had our head coach on there doing an interview and they were just talking about the situation and just how unfortunate it is that we couldn't it is finish the season but with the, with seven it's I think anybody who's played in the SEC that knows SEC basketball just knows that playing with seven in this conference is you're, you're setting yourself up for a setback yeah. you definitely are and it's not like you guys didn't try to work through it. I mean, from what you just told me, 
you know, all the testing you did, all the quarantining, yeah. all the tracing, you know, the getting yeah. people's heart tested. I don't know how many universities are, are paying for. Oh, yeah. So Vandy is one of like one of three schools in the country that does heart MRIs. And that's what catches the mitocarditis like that Demi had. I don't know if you saw the incident that happened with uh, Keontae from Florida, the young mm-hmm. man from Florida, SEC player of the year who passed out. Yep, yep. He had COVID earlier in the summer. They didn't do a heart MRI. Until after. Or he doesn't do heart MRIs. Yeah, Yeah, so we got on, like, we get on Zooms and calls with our doctors all the time. Like, all the time. And our doctor, so one of our doctors is, like, on the COVID board for, like, the world because Vanderbilt Hospital is so prestigious and all of that. So we we definitely trust our medical staff. And if they say heart MRIs are the way to go, anybody that tests positive cannot step on the court. And that's coaches and players. Like I said, we had coaches that couldn't participate in practice because they didn't have their heart MRI results back because it's that serious. Yeah. So like I said, we, we did a really good job at containing our bubble, the testing protocols. We wear Connect Sign chips. And that's basically, that's what tracks contact tracing. They are green when you're six feet apart. And when you get closer, they're red and they start beeping. Um, they record the whole time, like all of that. But it's a it's an airborne disease. And it's just like, yeah, that's kind and of if, what it is. If not everybody is as vigilant as Vanderbilt, you know, you're always at risk every time you play because you know other schools and other people and other students and they're just not yeah, exactly. getting the getting Exactly. The- so what we had to make sure is that before every game that certain the teams had the same testing as us. So like where you get in trouble at is non-conference. Maybe they're not testing as frequently or maybe they're not doing like the PCR testing. So it's either in the contract that we had to pay for their testing or they had to pay for it. I'm not really yeah. sure how, how that worked, but we had to make sure that the team had the same protocol as we did X amount of days up until the game. SEC, everybody's on the same rules. Okay. There is an SEC rule that everybody has to get tested at such and such a day. So, so how stressful of a year was it for you to uh, be an assistant coach? I mean, is this something well, that... Well, this would be my first year as an assistant coach. It really set the precedent. It really set the bar high. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was weird. Like I said, it was weird. Last year, getting the opportunity to step in I know what it was supposed to feel like. And I also know how much added pressure this COVID just gave. Like, I'm not a parent. I, I, I don't have a child or anything, but I can imagine how those parents feel. I have a nephew, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And I could imagine him going out to college with this, with a pandemic going on and just trying to play basketball. So talking to a lot of parents, just trying to empathize with them and just trying to make sure that they know that their daughters are in good hands and just make sure they know that we're doing everything to keep them safe. That was the main thing for real, Matt. Like it was just trying to keep those girls safe and just trying to keep their best interests and their health and their wellness and their safety was always our top priority and our top priority so much that we had to cancel the basketball season. And that's nothing, no coach or administration or anybody wants to do. Like I'm just sitting at home and I'm like, okay, bet. what's next? And I'm just like, I'm just so glad we're starting workouts, but you know, that, that's, that's never, that was never our angle. But when it came down to what's the best situation for those kids, that happened to be what it was. So first year coaching, a lot of pressure, just really different. And it just felt different. It, it just completely felt different. But yeah. I think we're still in a really good position because I'm, I'm proud to say that we did what we needed to do and we did everything we could to have our kids stay safe. So yeah. And you That's ended up four and you were able to play some games, but mm-hmm. like you said, you guys did everything you could. And mm-hmm. what worries me is that all these teams continuing to play who maybe don't have the, the full support yeah. like Vanderbilt did. And, you know, what's going to happen 
to a lot of these yeah athletes. it's it's weird I, I have a lot of coaching friends and my sister is actually the dobo at auburn okay. for their women's team so i was watching them play last night uh so I, I get a lot of different insight from a lot of different situations and everything uh like i said i have numerous of friends that coach numerous of friends has been in here and every situation is different every situation is different because every coach looks at things differently every administration looks at things differently i just hope that the people who make decisions at the end of the year like really take the time to understand what this year entailed because if you're not in it you don't know yeah. you don't know looking out from the inside i mean from the outside and it looks completely different than being in the fire every day looking mm-hmm. into a fire looks different than being inside the fire you know yep. what I'm saying? So I just hope that the people that's making the decisions for these programs, for these coaches, like I just hope that they really, really try to understand the whole situation for for what it is. I I I really do. I, I really really do because it's it's tough. It, it, it's tough. It, it's it, not it something to play around with, you know. It's yeah, totally like, serious. It's a huge part of the population that that think you know we should be going to games. We should be. You know, fans in the stands, and let's get back to normal. But yeah, uh, that's not it. Causing not problems. It. There, there, there's people. I mean, people are legit dying. I, I've known. I've had family members that die from this. So it's it's, it's very serious. Like I said, it, there's a what two percent chance that somebody gets myocarditis. You have one of our best athletes has a heart condition now. Like it's yeah. just it's it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And Kel Mulkey made a great point that it might be too dangerous, but the NCAA. They got well, basketball players. Yeah, on the men's side, they're worried about the dollar for the yeah. And it's real. It's real because the NCAA doesn't have a tournament, then they probably go bankrupt. We all know it's a business. We all know what this is. We all know exactly what this is. My biggest question is that at what at what cost? What are we really what are we really willing to sacrifice here? And that's kind of what it came down for us and our girls, and we weren't willing to sacrifice them and their health and their work. I mean, we're just not. Well, it's like you did the right thing. So I'm proud of you guys. And I'm glad uh, you were able to talk with me and share a little bit about what what went on this year. I know, like you said, it, it is hard. You see it on TV and you kind of think, oh, you know, everybody's playing again and basketball's back. But yeah, it's it's so uh, tenuous that yep. you know, it's just that myocarditis and things that we don't even know about exactly what can happen to kids. People think it's just an old person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're talking about yeah. perfectly healthy kids. And at the end of the day, this is somebody's child. This is somebody's child. And we're talking about a basketball game. And it's like, exactly. you yeah. know. Priorities. Yep. yep. Well, thanks, Marques. I appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up. Hopefully next season gets okay. gets going with everybody vaccinated. And yeah. you don't have all these problems. And year two will be a lot easier for you. That's the plan. Well, keep doing a good job. And. I'd like to see the enthusiasm on the sidelines. That's, That's not going to change. Might have to tone it down a little bit when you're a head coach, but keep it up. Right. Might have to. You know, as I get older, I think you'll trickle down because my energy will probably just shoot down. Yeah. You can't <laughs> so high out of your chair and things like yeah. that. You get hurt. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. For sure. Take care. I hope you enjoyed hearing from both Kelly and Marquez. This will be considered my COVID episode. COVID has been the dark cloud hanging over the world for the past year. The decision to try to play sports during the past year has been a controversial one. As a fan, it has been a great gift to watch games in the comfort of my own home, if only to forget about the world's problems for an hour or so. But is it right to put the athlete's health at risk? Is a pro athlete different than a collegiate athlete in this regard? How about male versus female? Most college athletes will go on to earn a living outside of pro sports. 
Is it smart to risk their long-term health to play sports in 2020 and 2021? This is a tough one. There is so much we don't know about the effects of the virus. What Marquez said about cardiac myocarditis scares me to death. I'm just not sure college athletes should be out there competing right now. Maybe you disagree. And lastly, 2021 brings new hope that we can get a handle on this virus. We now have a president who takes it seriously and has made it a priority. I hope in a year's time I can do a podcast without COVID being mentioned. Thanks for your time and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Take care and stay healthy.